Let's pray, and then we'll get into God's Word in Romans 12. Father, I am grateful for your presence this morning. I'm grateful, Father, for who you are. Uh, I'm grateful, God, that despite this broken world in which we live, the, uh, the things that cause us harm and suffering and struggle and uh, concern are all minuscule when we think about uh, what Jesus did for us and what you're doing for us in ways that we can't even begin to understand. Uh, Father, thank you most of all for the great miracle of salvation. Thank you, God, that you love us so much that Jesus, God of the flesh, came and died for the world. If only we'll receive that salvation. Uh, what an amazing thing that is. It also reminds us, God, of our responsibility. And I pray, Father, as we open your word today, that you'll remind us of that responsibility, that we have a responsibility first and foremost to you. We have a responsibility to one another. We also have a responsibility to the world. Um, you're a missional God, as we've talked about, God, and we pray that you would allow us to be missional people. We'll always give you the honor and the glory. We pray that you would uh, eliminate distractions the next few minutes, um, those things that are outside of us, and even those things that are inside of us. Would you eliminate those distractions, God? Would you cause us to pause for just a few moments and listen to you speak from your word? In Christ's name I pray, amen. Let me ask you this, how does it feel to be a slave? How does it feel to be a slave? Right? You may think, well, have you ever heard of a guy named Abraham Lincoln? We're getting close to the time of school. I asked a couple people, uh, how do you feel about school starting pretty soon, right? And it doesn't sound like our, our teens, uh, the kids are real excited about, about school starting. Um, maybe you've heard the name Abraham Lincoln. You should have if you haven't already heard so. But emancipation, right? There's no more slavery in this world. I would, I would beg to differ with you. And on a spiritual sense, we're all slaves, are we not? Let me read for you from Romans chapter 6. You're close enough to turn over there and follow uh, along with me if you went, want to. This is Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. It says, What then should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means, Paul would say. Do you not know that if you present your bodies or yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, there's that word doulos, right? Slaves. You are either slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. In other words, you're a slave to something. You're a slave to the world. We'll talk more about that here in a few moments. Or you're a slave to God. You're a servant of the world or you're a servant to God. I want to talk to those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And let me flesh that out for you for just a couple of moments because I think sometimes we use language, we use verbiage that seems pretty simple, right? Self-explanatory, but it's not always the case. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? It's more than just to walk down the aisle. It's more, as Mike mentioned to us, just to get your check marks. It's more than just getting in the baptistry and quote-unquote, dying to self and being risen to walk in the newness of life. It's things like Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me. Right? We've spiritualized that in a lot of ways. But for those original hearers who would have heard, take up your cross and follow me, that would have meant be willing to go even to the point of death to follow what Jesus had done. So let me ask you, are you a slave to the world today? Or are you a slave to the things of Jesus Christ? For those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, we have a tremendous amount of responsibility. See, I'm convinced 
that we in the church are guilty, and I say church at large, right? A, a big, broad brush about church, not just Hillcrest, but the church as a whole. We're guilty of getting people here. We're, we're, we're pretty good at making events. We're pretty good at creating this energy, if you will, about allowing people to come or even walking the aisle or getting in the baptistry or filling these certain roles. We're not so good at the discipleship. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We're good about the consumerism that the Western world provides, right? I don't want to go to hell, Mike. I don't want to spend eternity separated from my God, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? And most people, they get that. They want to experience salvation that way. They're consumers because we live in a consumeristic world. It's this other part over here that talks about responsibility or obedience or doing as Jesus did, then we give all these excuses of why we can't. And if you're here this morning and you haven't received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't fully committed, if you haven't signed on the dotted line, if you haven't met Jesus, I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus, but if you haven't met Jesus, then I hope that you and I have a conversation before we leave this place. For those of us who have, though, I want to remind us all of our responsibility this morning. Fair enough? I want to remind us of all our, the thing that we agreed to do when we first met Jesus. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus. And listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Now we'll come back to those verses here in just a few moments, but I want to show you a text from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And let me set the scene for you for just a moment. Most of you will know this is the beginning of the church. Most of you will know that we've just finished Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. The stories that talk about Jesus, right? Matthew talks about who Jesus was. Mark talks about who Jesus was. Luke, John, they all talk about who Jesus was. Now what? Right? Jesus has come. He's lived among us. He died on the cross. He rose again. Now what? In Acts chapter 1, Luke continues on with his book, Luke, Acts, right? They should have been listed together in our Bibles, although they're not, which kind of creates a little bit of confusion for those in the West. But Luke continues on with describing what Jesus wants to do in our lives. So Jesus is getting ready to ascend back into the heavens, back to be at the right hand of God the Father, and he says this to those believers that will follow him. He says, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. Dunamis, the word dynamite, that's power, right? It's not power. It's power, right? It's God living within us. You understand that? You see, we, we get together sometimes and we, we're a little bit nonchalant about this power. If God, if the creator of all that we see and don't see, loves us so much that he wants relationship with us, that He loves us so much that He causes us to go or calls us to a higher plane, if you will. 
that He loves us so much that He gives us this power. Power from on high. It should change the world. Right? And it does with 12 ordinary individuals. Right? Disciples, they, they change the world from that point on. And Jesus reminds this is not just for them though. This is for us. Even in 2019, but you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses. Paul would later on describe that in Romans chapter 6 that I just read for you as servants, as slaves, as bond servants. This is what you're committed to. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It kind of goes like this. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to... You've ever... You've probably thrown a rock in the body of water, right? And you've seen this ripple effect. That's what Jesus is describing when He says Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth, right? Or McKinney or Texas or USA or to the ends of the earth. You get the idea, right? So let me ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing? As, that's what Jesus described us as, as witnesses for who Jesus is. How are you doing? Paul says here in Romans chapter 12, this is what it looks like to be these witnesses. Right? I appeal to you, brothers. I'm begging you. I'm begging you, church. Now, again, please understand, in Romans chapter 12, he's talking to the church in Rome. Right? Make that distinction. We're not talking to unbelievers. Paul's not writing to unbelievers, people that don't know any different. He's writing to people that already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? And he begs them. He's pretty passionate about his appeal to them. I'm begging you. I, because of everything I've just said in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, all the way through chapter 11, right? He describes the goodness of God despite who we are, who we as mankind are, despite who we are. The Gospel is that Jesus loves you so much that He wants relationship with you. Most of us like that, right? As I said, though, it's the obedience. It's the struggle, the everyday struggle that we don't like, right? And Paul's reminding them of their obligation, their responsibility, what they signed up for. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, present your body as a living sacrifice. What does it mean, a living sacrifice? I'm begging you pretty important to Paul, right? I'm begging you. Please understand, this is how important it is. When, you, when somebody begs you, have you ever had somebody beg you? Other than your pet, right? I, I get that. Pets are notorious for begging. But have you ever had somebody so much in need? I had somebody tell me recently that they felt all alone. And then the church showed up and did something great in their life, Right? Have you, have you ever felt like um, when somebody begs you, they really want you to pay attention? Right? I think that's the scenario here with Paul. I think that's the scenario with the conversation I had with that person. Is I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I'm hopeless. It's a, it's a horrible situation that I find myself in. And, and I, I've, I've reserved, I have, I have to go to begging. Right? I think this is pretty important, Paul would say. So I'm begging you. I'm, I'm appealing to you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, church. Which begs the question, right? What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? What would they hear when they read, or if somebody read it to them, 
Be a living sacrifice. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Well, first and foremost, if you know your Bible history, you know the Roman church was comprised of both Jews and Gentiles, right? It was a messy place. The Jews would have thought of sacrifice as what? The sacrificial system in the Old Testament, right? I mean, that's what caused a lot of problems in the New Testament. Even in Galatians, there's this conversation about are we going to follow the law? Are we going to follow grace? All those kind of things. So it's a messy congregation, right? It's a, it's a messed up church, especially as the Jews return from their time of persecution and they find the Gentiles are all in charge. And Romans, <laughs> Romans are kind of notorious for being prideful people. And Paul is no different. It's interesting to me that, that God uses Paul who has the t-shirt, and not just a t-shirt, but he has both t-shirts. What I mean by that is Paul is a Jew, right? He studied under Gamaliel. He's a Jew. He's got that t-shirt. But he's also a Roman citizen. You think that's coincidence? Of course it's not coincidence. He has a, he has a t-shirt from, as a Roman citizen, right? It gets him out of trouble a lot of different ways if you read the book of Acts, right? So the unique thing is, is Paul has the opportunity to speak into the congregation as a whole, both Jews and both Gentiles. And he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, remember what your obligation is. It's not just about getting wet. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A couple of weeks ago, um, for those of you who weren't here, let me get you up to speed real quick. We were talking about the story of Isaac and Abraham. Remember how God tells Abraham to go out, take his only son, the son that he loves, Isaac, and sacrifice him there. In Genesis chapter 22. Very poignant uh, narrative there in, in Genesis, but that's kind of what it means, uh, this living sacrifice. And he goes on to say, which is your holy and acceptable spiritual worship. This is what it means to worship. It's not just singing every verse of Amazing Grace. It's not just celebrating what Jesus Christ has done for us. The broken body, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Those things are important, but Paul would go one step further and he would say, this is your spiritual worship. This is what's holy. It's what's acceptable to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, because everything I've said to you in chapters 1 through 11 in the book of Romans, your life should be different. Who is it? Who is it? Sacrifice, when I think about sacrifice, I think of something that costs something, right? When you think of the Old Testament sacrificial system, uh, they took something, they took an animal, a goat, sheep, some kind of harvest. There was a value to this sacrifice, right? When you think about the temple and the Day of Atonement as they're moving toward sacrificing, as they're moving toward these priests that would sacrifice for them, right? You think it's a quiet place? It's probably not a quiet place. If you've been around a, if you've been around a farm at all, if you've been around a slaughterhouse, it's probably not a very quiet place, right? Especially when they, we have more quote-unquote humane ways of, of, of killing animals now, but back in the day, you, you take from one, one ear to the other ear. You think it's a quiet place? It's probably not a quiet place. You think it's a clean place? It's probably not a clean place. There's blood everywhere. Do you get the idea? This is sacrifice. That's why Paul says, I appeal to, I'm begging you, church, understand what you've signed up for. Understand what discipleship really means. 
It's not just about escaping hell. It's about living your life differently. Let me, let me give you a couple of Old Testament examples here about sacrifice. Got those in, in, in Psalms chapter 27, verse 6. Psalm 27, verse 6. Got it? Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. You hear that? I, I, I will lift up my head, my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent. You, you guys may remember the, the Shekinah glory as Moses goes up to meet with God. Remember that? The Old Testament, right? He meets with God in this holy place later on as the tabernacle is meant, the holy of holies, right? The place where the high priest would go in and meet with God, right? The book of Hebrews talks about Jesus being our great high priest as he mediates for us, right? So what happens in this tent? What happens is I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. All too often we in the West think about offering and tithes and offerings and things like that, but it's really not an offering unless you sacrifice it. You understand what I'm saying? You can give tithes all day long, but tithes and offerings are two different things. It's not an offering unless you're sacrificing something. Make sense, right? There's something of value with the sacrifice. So it says, and I will offer in his tent these sacrifices, and I will do it with shouts of joy. I will recognize who God really is, and I will sing, and I will make melody to God. The next one is Psalm 50, verse 14. And it says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Why are you here? Well, because somebody drugged me here. Thanks for your honesty. But why are you really here, right? You're here to worship, are you not, Kyle? Right? You just talked about that, right? We, we show up to recognize who God is. You might find yourself on the, Ricky, you might find yourself on the prayer list. But the reason you're here is to worship, right? To, to sing sacrifices of thanksgiving to God. To pay your vows to the Most High God. That should be our motivation, church, right? We recognize that God is God, despite that knee that hurts, right? Despite these crutches that really making the under, under my arms really sore. Just thinking about it, Debbie, right? But we, we recognize who God is. We pay our vows to the Most High God. I think we should all be optimists. You know, and I'm not talking about recognize, not, not recognizing the, the pain in our world. I mean, you can look at the newspaper, look at the news, and you recognize their suffering, right? You recognize their struggle despite all those things. God is not surprised by any of them. God is still God, right? Amen. Amen. The next one says this, Psalm 50, verse 23 says, those who bring thanksgiving, this, this is the church, right? Those who bring thanksgiving as their sacrifice honor me. To those who go the right way, I will show the salvation of God. Right? Speaks to this idea of sacrifice. And God calls us to sacrifice. I've mentioned to those of you around Hillcrest for any length of time at all, that God doesn't expect us to do anything that He's not going to do Himself. So if He asks us to be a sacrificial people, right? God has already sacrificed. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul understands that in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Listen to what he says. Chapter 8, verse 32. He says, God, who did not withhold His own Son, but gave Him up for all of us, Will He not with Him also give us everything else? Did you catch that? 
He who did not withhold His own Son, but gave Him up for all of us, will He not with Him also give us everything else? What could be greater than the great miracle of salvation? What's greater, Hal York, we give Hal a hard time. Glenn was giving Hal a hard time a couple of weeks ago. Hal gets up and he says, Emmanuel. And everybody says, we're going to do it again. God with us. Right? Emmanuel. God with us. Right? That changes everything. Right? Or I say, the power from on high. The, the dunamis. And I say, power. I'm a believer. i got power. Right? I've got God living within me. If I have God living within me, it doesn't matter what happens when I leave this place. Right? God's living within me. When I go through back surgery tomorrow, Ricky, right? God is with me. I will not be alone. Right? He never forsakes me. Do you understand that? Do you believe that? See, it should change everything. It should change the way we live. It should change the way we interact with one another. First and foremost, it should change the way we interact with God. Right? Some of you have been struggling for quite some time. And it's easy to go back to that default mode and feel sorry for yourself and allow everybody else to come into your quote-unquote cancer. No pun intended. Maybe that is your struggle. But maybe it's not. I think the default mode is the enemy calls us to attract others that will add to our feeling sorry for ourselves. And that will cause us to be even more sorrowful. Does that make sense? You guys follow what I'm saying? Right? So the sacrifice is a big, big thing. Present your body as a living sacrifice. This is your greatest act of worship. The way you live your Life. He goes on in chapter 12, verse 2, to say this. Don't be conformed to the world. What does that mean? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. We talked about the little word, uh, but, in our Bible study a little bit this morning. This word of contrast, right? There's a statement, then we have this contrasting word, little but, B-U-T. Then we've got, this is the change, right? Don't be conformed. Transition, be transformed. What does it mean to be conformed? Hold your thumbs there in Romans chapter 12, if you will, and turn over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, Paul is clear to the church in Galatia and Gaul when he talks about this idea of conforming to the world. What makes this different? If Paul is onto something in chapter 12 when he says we should be different, this is how we live our spiritual lives of worship, our life should be different. How so, Paul? Well, if you know Paul, he talks a lot about the old man, the new man. In the early part of Galatians, he says, it is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. In Romans chapter 6, when he's giving the description of baptism, and he says, you were buried with Christ in baptism. You're risen to walk in a newness of life. I'm not, I know I'm not telling you everything, that, I mean, anything you don't already know, but sometimes it's good to be reminded of what we've signed up for. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes? Yeah. And there's still this struggle, there's still this tension, if you will, between spirit and flesh. And so Paul has to remind the church in Romans 12 not to be conformed to that old way of living. Listen to what he says. This is the best, I think this is the best example of that that I could find in Pauline literature from Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. I tell you, I'm, listen to me, hear me out, 
church, right? We're talking to believers. You should be different. Live by the Spirit. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, what do you mean, gratify the desires of the flesh, right? There's, there's still this tension, right? What the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit. What the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. Do you hear him describing this tension, right? These are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not subject to the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Listen, don't conform to the world. What do you mean, Paul? Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this. I'm warning you, he says. Remember, we're talking to believers here. We're not talking to heathens. We're not talking to unbelievers. Paul is writing to believers, to church members, even us in 2019. And he says, I'm warning you as I warned you before, those who do these things that I've just listed will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now the question is, why not? Here's where where we get in the weeds a bit. So let me see if I can explain this somewhat clearly. You're not saved by what you do. Completely understand what Mike is saying. Completely agree. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by grace. Amen? There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. You're saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourself, so don't boast. If you're going to boast in anything, boast in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Now you're saved for good works. You hear the difference? Right? You've been saved by grace through faith. Now go and prove it. Right? And if you're still living this way that I just read in... Galatians chapter 5. If you still got all this struggle going on, that means your tree is unhealthy. You're dying. Right? That's what Paul would say. Now the contrast is following. But be transformed. Some of you know this word. You've heard it before, this metamorpho. You've, you've seen the, the caterpillar. Caterpillar's pretty ugly, right? Most of us would agree with that. Some of us are really weird and think caterpillars are pretty, right? But the illustration he uses is metamorpho, right? This ugliness, right? Wrapping itself in a cocoon, and something happens internally, and it's called metamorpho. Or we get the word metamorphosis, right? It's a Greek term, metamorpho, metamorphosis. It's something that happens from the inside out, and outside of that old butterfly, all of a sudden, out of the cocoon comes this beautiful butterfly. And that's the illustration that Paul describes when he says, but be transformed but be changed. right? Here's the example that he gives. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ, notice, you're not saved by these things. You do them because you've been saved by Jesus Christ. Is that making sense to anybody? You understand what I'm saying, right? You're saved by grace. I don't want anybody to come out and go out and misquote me. You're saved by grace through faith. The question is, now what? Right? That's, that's the question we're trying to get at. Right? Are, are we really growing? Are, are we really about this thing called discipleship? Are, are we really concerned with following Jesus Christ? You're saved by grace through faith, but now what? And Paul gives us this list of what we, most of us know is the fruit of the Spirit, right? In other words, it's not things that look ugly on a tree. It's not things that are causing this tree to die. In fact, this tree over here is flourishing, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Against these things, there is no law, he would say. 
And if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. You see, when you meet Jesus, I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus. I'm talking about will you really know Jesus when He's your Lord and Savior of your life. It changes you from the inside out. Your motivations are no longer what they were when you were an old man or an old woman. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so Paul would say, don't be conformed. Don't do the easy thing. Don't fall back into this default mode and continue kicking the can down the road. You good North Texas people will understand that illustration, right? Kicking the can down the road because that's the easy thing to do, right? Going through the motions, experiencing grace at a very surface level stuff, right? Devaluing grace, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say. He says, be transformed. So, so what does that look like? What does it look like to not be conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed? Let me give you a couple of illustrations, a couple of examples that came to my mind this past week. Some of you know the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right? Greatest sermon ever given, obviously. It's given by Jesus. They gather around Jesus, and you can imagine in the ancient Near East, I mean, he's just here 33 and a half years, and he teaches as one who was much different than the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people that they had had teaching them before, because Jesus taught, it says, as one who had authority. Not that he had a badge, or not that he had some kind of, you know, staff or anything like that. That's not the authority the gospel writers are talking about. The authority they're talking about is the authority that comes from God. They were recognizing who he was. Does that make sense to everybody? Right? So in Matthew chapter 5, when it describes what it means uh, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and he goes through all these beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the etc., etc. Right? You all on the same page so far? Right? We get to chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, and he says, you should stick out like a sore thumb. No, that's not what he says. But that's what he means when he says, you are the salt of the earth. What would that mean? For those in the ancient Near East, no refrigeration, remember? There's nothing to preserve anything, right? You are the salt of the earth. You're to preserve that which is good. This is Jesus' definition of don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? This is how it all begins, right? You're to preserve that which is good. Now somebody may say, well, there's very little good in the world, and I would agree with you. But you're to preserve that which is good. You follow up? This is good. This is the reason that we gather. You don't come here to hear me speak, right? Although that's part of your punishment, I guess some of you would think. But the reason you gather is for this, amen? Right? The reason you gather is because Jesus Christ did what He did, right? Right? We preserve that which is good. We confess First and foremost to God, then we confess one to another how good God is. Right? We, we preserve that which is good. When you see it, things, I mentioned to you a couple of minutes ago, the church reaching out to somebody who really needed it, was in a desperate situation, and after the fact was very appreciative, and um, you know people like that. You, you've been in scenarios like that, and it was a good example of preserving that which is good, right? Acknowledging God working through even imperfect people. He goes on to say, you are a light in a world. You are a light 
in a world. Now, some of you, Brendan's not in here. I could have him come up. He, he gave some of us an illustration last week about the 7-Up, the right, the Sprite or whatever it was. But you, you probably have seen this illustration itself. You know what darkness does with light, right? Light chases darkness away. So when you're all, if you're, you haven't been in youth group for a very long, you know, a long time, been too long or whatever, most youth ministers will turn the light off and they'll make it as black as they can. It'll be pitch black. You can't see the hand in front of your face, right? And all of a sudden they'll turn on the light and they'll ask somebody to describe what happened. And the light chases the darkness away. That's, that's the whole point of the illustration. Simple lesson that we, even as adults, need to remember that light chases darkness away. So you may read the news on Google or Yahoo or wherever you get your news. You may see on the television all the bad things that are happening in the world. But there's also these texts that talk about the church will never, will never go away. The church will always be here because God is with us. God will never forsake it. Do you understand what I'm saying, right? So we are a light in a dark world. Paul would say that's what it means to be transformed. That's what it means to live your life. And we'll continue this conversation for the next several weeks of what it means to grow. It's more salvation is more, relationship is more than just receiving this free card, get out of jail free, get out of hell free. It's more than that. Right? Most of us have made it that. Most of us have made it a consumer-driven gift. And it's more than that. There's responsibility. There's discipleship. There's this thing called following Jesus that makes us a little bit more uncomfortable. So let me ask you, are you a slave to the world, or are you a slave to Christ? You can't choose both, and you've got to choose one. Don't be conformed to the world, Paul would say. Be transformed. Be metamorphosis. Be changed. Right? And live the way God wants us to live. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks so much for your word. Uh, thank you, God, for the challenge before us. Thank you, God, that... Um, we will, if we're living the way we should live, we will be much different than our neighbors. We will be much different than those who um, claim we're um, a little bit crazy. We're called to be leaders in a world that needs leaders. We're called to be light in a world that needs some light. We're called to be uh, salt uh, to that world that there's many things decaying and we need to preserve that which is good. Father, help us not to go through the motions. Help us, uh, I say us, those of us who have experienced a relationship uh, with Jesus, help us to understand what that truly means. Um, and yes, we do get to spend eternity with you, but I pray, I pray, I pray that one day we will hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.